if you're listening in, I'm, I'm on with uh, Ben Carlson of A Wealth of Common Sense. Ben did a post about um, why real estate as an asset class and and your house price specifically can't really be compared to how the stock market is done. And we tweeted it out this morning and people are going crazy, like hun- like hundreds of comments on this. First of all, why do you think people react in such a big way whenever you write about housing as an investment? It's such a, I mean, obviously there's this whole stuff about the American dream and it's the biggest investment of your life, but I mean, it's such a personal asset to you and people have such a personal stake in it. So it's, it's, it is crazy. I shouldn't be surprised anymore, but I kind of am every time I write about the housing market, there's tons of feedback and tons of comments and questions and people pushing back. And it's obviously a topic that strikes a lot of emotion for people. So the best, the big, the, to me, the best point that you make, and there's a lot of good points and we'll link to the, to the posts in the notes, but the best point that you make is that looking at the, the price appreciation of your own house and then saying, you see, that was better than the stock market. Um, it's, it's almost like saying, it's almost like saying I bought this one stock 30 years ago and it, and it, it turned out to be Berkshire Hathaway. Like, like it's almost like an impossible way of looking at it, but people can't help themselves because their only real experience is their own experience. Yes, and we're dealing with big numbers too. And then there's those stories where when my grandparents bought a house in the 1930s for three thousand dollars or whatever it is, and look at how much it's worth now. It, so I think it's just it's hard for people to wrap their head around it because it is such a big number, and they have this sort of big emotional investment in it. But comparing it to stocks is just—I mean, I'm a homeowner. I know the cost involved. It's it's ridiculous, and obviously you have to live somewhere. So you're renting or buying. And so, but the, the, the comparison between the stock market is so difficult because there are so many costs and ancillary issues that pop up with being a homeowner that it's just not apples to apples. And, and if you're buying a stock ETF, even a stock itself, stocks manage themselves. A house does not, you have to actually do something and keep it up and maintenance and pay taxes and all these yeah, other things on it. You know what else somebody pointed out that gets lost in this conversation? Nobody brings up leverage. So it's like you, so you bought a house in the 1980s and, and you put 20% down. So 80% of the purchase, you used leverage. Let me see you do that with the S&P. Put on right. 80% more S&P with leverage. Let's see if we're having the same conversation then. Yeah, and obviously people point to places like San Francisco, New York, where maybe housing price appreciation has been better. Um, but it's all circumstantial. And if you pick the wrong time to go all in on something like this, it can really be damaging because it's a roof over your head. Right. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, so so the, you ran two different data sets, Case Shiller, and I forget what the other one was, but it was trying to nail down what house price appreciation has actually been over these multi-decade stretches of time. But you're skeptical that that data is real, and so am I. So, Why should yeah. we be skeptical? And there's like a 5% difference between the, the data. And people told me, well, they the, the new data from the San Francisco Fed tried to do imputed rent, which uh, good luck trying to estimate that on your own home or or come up with a good yield on your house. Right. Um, and obviously, there's a difference between owning your home and, and renting. But this data goes back to the 1800s, which, I mean, good luck trying to fi- find data that, that worked back then. Or I don't know what they were. Were they running in the sand? I, I don't know. It's, it just seems it's yeah. hard to go back that far. You're looking at sales in a newspaper and then estimating all the other properties that might have cost the same thing. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's just hard to look at these averages. And I'm not saying that you might not earn a return on your house. It's just 
I don't think you should ever go all in on something that's such a huge personal emotional asset to you and have that be the bulk of your financial plan when it's already such an important aspect of your life. Now, in in the pro housing as an investment camp, though, you could also say you're looking at stock market returns going back 150 years, but you couldn't have actually owned the stock market either. So right. that data is not reliable. And if you did own the stock market, you were paying like 10% commissions to buy and sell individual equities. You couldn't own an index. So if you wanted to get broad representation, you had to do like a thousand trades a year, which most people weren't doing. Um, and then there's all the survivorship bias stuff that's in any database of long-term returns. So that like the pro housing camp could say, okay, you think my data is is nonsense. Wait till you see how your sausage was made. Yeah, and the other the other positive is it's an illiquid asset. And so you're kind of stuck with it because if you were looking every day, if you're waiting for the housing market to open at 9:30 a.m. every day to see what your house is going to open up at <laughs> after the, after the housing data, it would you you drive yourself insane. You'd pull your hair out because no one wants to see what the price of their house fluctuations really is. And we all think it's probably worth more than it really is in a lot of cases. So that's a good thing in in a lot of cases. You know, you know, I think I think Meb Faber did something about this where he was saying I don't remember if it was a tweet or a blog post, but he was saying. The reason why the richest people you know are all real estate people is one very like is one very simple explanation that defies geography, age, whether it's commercial or residential or any of those other considerations. The reason why all real estate people are rich is because they never sell. Yeah, and if they much. do sell, it's a 1031 exchange. They have to buy something else very quickly. Like they just they never ever get out in a way that stock people you can't say the same thing. Yeah. My whole point is just going with your eyes open because I, again, as a homeowner, I know the costs that, that go into it. And I just think it makes sense for people to understand trying to calculate a return on your home is much harder than it sounds. Right. So even if you're not even talking about like remodeling the house, you're just talking about replacing right th things that break. You're talking about new appliances every five years. You're talking about doing some landscape, paying for some, you know, like that stuff doesn't show up in case Shiller data because you right. can't, but it's, so right. it's real. It exists. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of that. And it's, it's just, plus you're just, you're so emotional about it that it's, it's hard to ever think straight when you're thinking about your own house. Right. So, so don't you think it's reasonable for people to just say, you know what? A home is a good investment for reasons that are not financial. It provides stability for your family. It puts you in a community. It gives you a sense of responsibility. Um, but then also you should maybe do stocks too. Like is, yes. Right. Like isn't the reason, isn't the reasonable answer to this, to this debate to just do both? I, I don't know where I stole this phrase from, but I love the term psychic income. Like yeah. why else would, why else would uh, someone pay $10,000 for a dress to wear for one day on their wedding? Because right. it makes them feel good. That's why you buy a house too. Yeah. Cause you're only really going to have one wedding and you're only really going to have one, you know, like, it, like if you're going to buy a house, um, and, and it's not to rent out to someone else. You live there. And so maybe what's the difference? And maybe you should be married to your house because if you try to trade up and, and switch houses every few years, you're paying a bunch of frictional costs that you know take eat into your return even more. So holding on to a house for a long time actually is a good oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Forget it. In, in where I live, like to, to, to get a re realtor and then an attorney and then do the closing, and then you got to hire one of these Israeli moving companies, and they're all like ex- they're all like uh, X, whatever the Israeli equivalent of the Navy SEALs is. Like th that whole process, if you do that more than three times in your life, you're making a mistake. It's yep. too much. So, all right. Uh, ben, I'm going to link to the um, 
to the post in the notes. I thought it was really good. And uh, for anyone that um, wants to wants to leave any feedback on this, we'd love to hear it. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks.